Hey there, podcast listener. I wanted to introduce today's show by sharing with you another podcast that I listen to. It's an NPR show called How I Built This, and it's hosted by Guy Raz. How I Built This chronicles the journeys of some of the most successful entrepreneurs of our time, and guests have included Sarah Blakely, the inventor of Spanx, as well as Nolan Bushnell of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese fame, just to name two. Now, I'm bringing this show up for a couple of reasons. One, of course, is that you all know, at least if you've listened to my podcast long enough, that I love listening to podcasts. And this is a show I I listen to almost on a weekly basis. But the second reason that it, it came to mind is because it made me think about today's episode, which features Nancy Inman of Inman Innovations. So Nancy created this little known vocabulary AAC set called Word Power. Ever hear of it? I'm guessing for those of you working in the field of AAC know of Nancy's work. There's probably a subsection of you listeners who are thinking, why does that name ring a bell? Well, it's probably because you've seen Nancy's name attached to Word Power. If you ever go to one of the pages as you're navigating, you'll see her name, Nancy Inman, M-A-T. So you can find Word Power pretty much on all the major players here. Dynavox, PRC, South Hill, speech generating devices, not to mention the TouchChat AAC app for iPads and iPhones. So the question I have today is, where did word power come from? Okay, welcome to the Conversations in Speech Pathology Podcast. I'm Jeff Steppen. And welcome to the episode where we talk about how word power was created. Word power, of course, by Nancy Inman. And as you know, I generally don't do long CV-like introductions in this podcast. This is not a CEU forum. <laughs> and I don't do this because often my guests' reputations precede them. Or in the case of most episodes, I generally just ask them to talk about their professional histories. But what I want to say before I jump in with my interview with, with Nancy is that I am continually impressed these days with the number of customized AAC solutions out there. Creating an AAC, AAC vocabulary set is not an easy task. It's something that I've thought of not doing, but in terms of just sort of mentally mapping how I would do that if I were to try. And uh, I've never come out with a better solution than what's already out there these days, at least in my head. But um, I'm really impressed with Nancy's work, and I've seen my own with my own two eyes the successes of some of my students who've used Word Power, and just love the fact that there are so many iterations of it. So, without further ado, here is Nancy. And what makes Word Power so interesting is that it is on all the major players, all the devices that you can you can get it on the Saltillo Nova Chat, you can get it on a PRC device. You can get it on tablets through touch chat. So uh, that, that to me just speaks kind of to the testament of how big uh, word power has become. And in my own program, we have kids using word power. I think the two biggest uh, apps or uh, you know, language uh, vocabulary sets that we have are probably word power and uh, lamp words for life, I think are the two uh, biggest ones. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. what I wanted to cover in this episode is a few things. One is I like to do a background because I know very little about you as, as an SLP, how you became interested in AAC, kind mm-hmm. of your work history and what you're doing now. And the big chunk of it is uh, kind of the how and why of work power. What got you to thinking about it, how you designed it, how long <laughs> it took you. I really want to hear all about all the nuts and bolts. So why don't we okay. start uh, the beginning, how and why you became an SLP? Okay. 
Well, uh, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and um, I always knew that I wanted to work with people with disabilities. And so when I was a teenager, I got to work at Eunice Shriver's camp, which was um, right off of Rockville Pike in Rockville, Maryland. And so it was before Special Olympics had really started. And so um, a couple of my friends and I, when we were young teenagers, worked with Eunice Shriver and really got inspired by that. So I, I thought about special education for a while. But then when I went to college, I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and <clears throat> was trying to decide between special ed, PT, and I had this um, wonderful professor that named Sophie Hadgen, who just kept telling me speech pathology would be the way for me. So I ended up going to Indiana University and getting my master's degree there. And, um, you know, it's just, it's been a great profession for me. There's, as you know, so much flexibility and being a speech pathologist. And so it didn't happen. AAC didn't happen for a while. I, I actually, um, early in my career, I was living in Texas and working in Fort Worth. And at that point, we were um, four speech pathologists on an outpatient clinic. We had a school. And all of our little kids with CP who needed AAC, we sent all those kids to Karen because we didn't know what to do with them. And then Karen got married and I got her, I started getting her cases. And at that point, um, she had a little boy using a liberator, uh, a Prinky-Romic liberator. So I went to the training and I, I did kind of well with it. And I, I ended up just really falling in love with the whole thing. And um, I found I had, you know, some skills in that area. So I ended up being recruited by Prinky Romic and then went to work for Prinky Romic. And I worked for them for six years. And so that's where, um, you know, I had, so I really only had worked with clients doing augmentative communication for about a year before I started working with PRC. And that was just a great, wonderful training ground. Um, they were so good about um, letting other people mentor you and, and getting to mm -hmm. follow people. And then I just met so many clients with so many different kinds of disabilities. Um, now, when you <clears> went to work for PRC, were you a consultant or did you do something else? I was a consultant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. And then I also was able to get involved with some of the training materials and, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I was there for about six years. And then... Um, from there, I had moved back to Maryland from Texas when I started working for PRC and because my family's from this area. Mm -hmm. Again, I was sort of recruited by the Kennedy Krieger Institute up in Baltimore, mm -hmm. and I ended up taking a job as the program manager there. So I was the program manager for the Department of Assistive Technology at Kennedy Krieger for about 15 years. So after I was there for probably two or three years. And, and again, I just feel grateful for my whole career. I've had so many great opportunities, but we had people at Kennedy, all different ages coming to our clinic. I worked, it was a team approach with speech, PT, OT, and uh, we had a seating clinic. And so I got to work with lots of children and adults. And after I was there for about three years is when I had a client that came to see me, his name was John, and he was in his early 40s, and he had 
severe spastic cerebral palsy. He was in a wheelchair and he had no use of his hands. He actually was, he is a very bright man. He's a writer. And so he wore a helmet and a head stick. And he was using what we called the big green board. Do you know what that is, Jeff? The big green board. In terms of low tech? It's a low tech board. Just and and it um I could look up the um I'll try to find the information for you okay. on it because we still have one at our clinic that I'm working at now. But this board consisted of an alphabetical keyboard and just some high frequency words, probably about eighty high frequency words. Yeah. So I had never met John before, and so he came to the clinic and we started talking. And so he would use his head stick and touch the high frequency words. And I would say the word out loud. Then he would start to spell. And of course, I would word predict. And after about five minutes, you forgot that you were communicating with an augmented communicator. He was such a great, fluent communicator. Mm -hmm. So he, he had had several people over the years try to set him up with some type of voice output system. But um, he he didn't use anything other than this board. And and he typed with an Apple computer just using his head stick. And I, I believe he had a Connects keyboard connected to it, an enlarged keyboard. And then he used um, the keyboard to actually make the mouse movements. Mm-hmm. So we tried him with several things that day. We tried him with a liberator. We tried him with easy keys, I remember. We, we um, and, and really nothing really pleased him very much. Um, he, he was a hard sell. But, you know, we all just thought, oh, my gosh, this guy is such a great candidate for voice output. We were So we kind of left it that day that he was going to come back in another month or so. So when I went home that night, I just kept thinking about John. I kept thinking about, gosh, what is the best thing for him? He certainly was bright enough to use a MinSpeak system, but he, he was not really interested in learning that language coding system. Mm-hmm. So I just kept thinking, what's the best thing for John? And I thought, I wish I could give him what he already has. That's when I sort of had my aha moment because I thought, well, well, why can't I give him what he already has? And I thought, hasn't that been done before? And at that time, it, it had not been done before. Now, what year is this? This is late 1999. It's about 17 years ago. Okay, so late 99. And at the time, if if he were to go to high tech options, what was what was around back then? Well, we were looking at the Liberator. Yeah. We were looking at the Easy Keys software on a computer. Those are the those are the main things. This was before the Pathfinder came out. Oh, and we had a Dynavox 3100. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the devices that we were looking at. So, you know, I thought, well, couldn't I give him a dynamic screen with an alphabetic keyboard, word prediction, and high-frequency words? And I thought, well, why couldn't I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't someone done that? And I thought, nobody's really done that. So the next day, I got my Dynavox 3100, and I brought it home. And in just a few hours, I had my first version of Word Power, where I just you know, programmed using that dynamic device, dynamic display device, the QWERTY keyboard with the word prediction. And I used Buchelman's study to determine the high frequency words. Mm-hmm. And I believe there were about 140 locations on the first version of WordPower. So um, 
So John came back in about a month. And by that time I had, you know, really worked with it, tweaked it. I was really excited to show it to him. Well, he wasn't really interested in it. (laughs) So the first version was a no-go. All right. It was a no-go for him. It it was not a no-go. What did did he like about it? You know what? I think he was just, he was, like I said, he was in his early 40s. People around him could understand uh, his voice approximations, although, we, you know, to the unfamiliar listener, we could not understand his speech. And um, he was just so used to communicating the way he was. He sort of didn't want to be bothered. He just wasn't interested in it. But that that is how word power got started. Okay, so you took this idea and what were what was the next step? Or what was the next uh, milestone that got you taking this to the next level? Well, I'm, I knew it was a good idea. I, I knew, and I could see how once I got it programmed, my goodness, I can talk with this very fluently. I, I didn't have any real categories other than, I think at that point I had something like the second page where I put some high-frequency nouns, some fringe words. But it was mainly core spelling and word prediction. And I could see how easily I could communicate with this. And so I decided um, at that point, the only dynamic display device that we had that really, I mean, the first one that had all this functionality was the 3100. So I decided to go to Dynavox with the idea. Mm-hmm. So I went to Dynavox. They really liked the idea. And about probably about six months to eight months later is when we launched the when we launched it. And when I went to them, I, I always knew from the beginning, I didn't really want this to be an exclusive product with any one company. Um, I thought it was a good idea that it could be on several platforms. And within really a few months of when I started is when Prinky Romic introduced their Pathfinder device. And Mm -hmm. so I was able to, um, that had 144 locations. So as soon as I got that device, I was able to put a nice version of WordPower on the Pathfinder that had that nice static display and then the dynamic uh, activity bar. Mm-hmm. And Do you remember the course, that? And of course, the spelling uh, capability. Exactly. Yeah. And the spelling capabilities, yes. Okay. So it, again, it had the, the first versions of WordPower, you know, weren't so much picture WordPower. They were all about... Um, 100 to 140 locations, yes. QWERTY keyboard, word, sophisticated word prediction that was customizable on both of those systems, and the high-frequency core words. Yeah. I know I've only seen the Pathfinder um, a couple of times in person, so I sort of have an idea of what that would look like. You know, several of us still just miss that device <laughs> yeah. because there was something really nice about it because it had it was both static and dynamic. Yeah. And, um, so a lot of a lot of clients could access this that device really easily. I still have clients that ask me about that system. So well, it is. I have to say, it is fast. It's fast. Yeah. Yeah. It I mean, fast. so it's a very very efficient system. So so that's how WordPower started. Yeah. So uh, so uh, Dynavox was the first company to adopt it. What was so what did the rollout look like? What did how many initial uh, sets did you have? Uh, the initially there was. Um, Word Power, which again was about 140 locations, and then there was also scanning Word Power. So I did two. Uh, I did a configuration for scanning, and again, um, the Dynavox system was always so nice in terms of 
the ability to set up a really nice scanning system and block scanning. And so that system had a special keyboard arrangement for both the high-frequency words and the, the spelling keys that were for scanning. And then also on the Pathfinder, I did a scanning configuration for them. So uh, the first year or so, it was mainly word power with lots of words designed for individuals with uh, literacy skills. They already had their literacy skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, probably a year or so into it, uh, people started asking me, what about, couldn't you do something for someone who didn't have the literacy skills of, you know, and that's kind of where picture word power started. And, and couldn't you develop something for someone, um, that couldn't use as many locations? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember saying, no, I can't do that. But, um, <laughs> again, <laughs> with, um, with the, it was the Dynavox 3100 again, had so much nice flexibility in terms of setting up how many, how many keys you wanted, how many cells and, that was the first version of Picture Word Power too. Yeah. Soon, soon to be followed by Picture Word Power on the Pathfinder. And so, in, in the first uh, couple, two, three years of this, it, was it mostly positive uh, reviews? Did you have any, aside from the the different iterations and using having more picture support? Were there any other any other useful feedback that you got? Um, you know, to some extent, the the product was successful almost from the beginning, just in terms of not, not that there was any mass market or anything, but, but people, um, that used it, liked it right away. And it, and it started, um, selling right away. And I always have, I've always been a clinician. I'm still seeing clients. I, when I stop seeing clients, I'll stop working on word power because I'm, that's how I feel like my work has always improved. So, you know, I, I had so many interesting clients that that would come to see me at Kennedy. Plus I would be getting feedback from other people around the country that were trying out the product. So it's always from the beginning, it has been evolving. And, um, you know, pretty soon I started including category pages, not just, not just the main pages with Mm -hmm. the core words. I guess it's just, um, you know, people ask me, why are there so many versions of word power? Well, that's just because there are so many different types of clients. You know, you have people with vision problems and motor problems and and access issues. And a lot of people just can't handle so many locations. And I, I always find it's the fewer number of cells on the page, the fewer number of cells that are available with word power, the more difficult it is really to program. Yeah. You've got to be very clever about what becomes important and, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you, so here we are today. Now you have, it's on all the major uh, devices and of course, iPads, you can get it on a touch chat. Uh-huh. Um, and now there's, there's all these different iterations and I have several students and uh, a private client who uses it as well. And uh, I was thinking, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is the fact that, obviously, in, in the different configurations, of course, you have a combination of symbol-supported uh, icons and, of course, um, just words, you know, uh-huh. same word power. And I just, you know, I had this, like, I don't call it epiphany, but I've, one of the things I've been, that's been kind of nagging in the back of my mind is this idea of, 
you know, this is and I'm making this assumption that every student um, necessarily needs a symbol supported icon or a location, a word, uh-huh. uh, in order to learn, you know, that that uh, that word. And I was just wondering, you know, I'm particularly interested in this with respect to autism. You know, we get, I've seen over the years a number of kids, you know, as young as five and six come with, uh, you know, would describe maybe as hyperlexic, but not necessarily uh, verbal in the sense that we all would all agree on what a verbal is, but maybe they, they're certainly uh, good readers. And, you know, I've had, I've seen a number of kids both on uh, Lamp Words for Life and, and on Touch Chat. Who are who maybe on earlier with with touch chat maybe on a, a fewer cells maybe beyond the, like a forty five location or something like that, and just go to the uh, the spelling to the qwerty uh-huh. um, as a default. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm kind of being long winded here, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts if if you had any about this the need for symbols versus uh, or picture support versus non picture support. Does that make sense? What I'm sort of getting at. It does. It's a good question. And I, I guess I can just tell you what my thoughts are. I don't I don't have the answers, but yeah. This is this is what my experience has been. I feel like words that are not necessarily picture producers, words like uh in or and I and and such high frequency words. You'll you'll never see me put a symbol on the pronoun I. Because, Which I, yeah, I've noticed that, yeah. Yeah, because it's the most common word in the language, and kids learn that, and there's just no reason for a picture on that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think some of my very earliest I did, but then do you put a male or a female, you know? But um, so I feel like a lot of the high-frequency words, kids and adults, they're going to learn where they are, and so they don't necessarily need a symbol. But I, I will also say that... Um, I think a lot of kids on the autism spectrum really do benefit from the symbols. And one of my, uh, something I did like over the last year and a half or so has been word power 60 basic for Saltillo products. And I really did decide because we, we, I developed that with a group of people, but we wanted it to work for young as, as young as some preschoolers. And so we wanted to give lots of symbol support and um, I've gotten a lot of nice positive feedback, but you know, I guess I don't necessarily like to put the symbols when I think it. It's sometimes I think the symbols make the screen look so busy it's harder to look at. So I think it's really an individual thing. Um, it, it it is. It, it, I I completely agree with you. And I guess the other reason why I've been thinking about this uh, lately is um, I was at Asha in November, and I saw uh-huh. a very interesting poster presentation. I think she was. Young lady, she was a former, I think, graphic designer uh-huh. who came into the field of speech pathology, and she was interested in the perception of uh, of, of symbol icons. And so she she took a she was looking at uh, MinSpeak symbols, uh, PCS, um, and symbol sticks. I think uh-huh. it was, and she was just sort of comparing them. And she was I can't I can't remember exactly what the study was, but the the idea was how how busy each, even just a one symbolist, just so she said to me, just looking at this symbol for go, the symbol, which symbol uh, looks, would you guess would be distracting? And every time, of course, I guessed the one that I thought would be distracting. She was talking about the use of negative space and, uh, you know, balancing uh, the, the image. And it was a very interesting thing because she said, you know, 
uh, from a design perspective, we, you know, how easy it is to possibly overwhelm someone, especially yes. when you're looking at, I don't know, 60, 84 locations or something like right. that. And so uh-huh. I think that, that, and, and also, and I mean, also because I think uh, a couple of students in particular this year really, you know, again, going to the QWERTY as a, as a default and also sometimes, sometimes using symbols, but just making me wonder like, huh, to what extent do I need a symbol to teach them, you know, right. certain words? And I, I find it interesting again, that, you know, on yours, on your on your sets that you have like those mer- most frequently, you know, helping verbs, I believe, and of course I. That mm-hmm. They're not right. they're not uh, 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 picture supported. So right, uh, and I just find that interesting. Right. Well, you know, there's no picture that looks like the word can. Now, of course, you can put a can on the word can. And years and years ago, I did some of that, but I, I've stopped doing that because um, yeah. I don't think it. I think it makes the page busier. I don't think some of our students really get those subtleties anyway, and I think it makes it look too busy. The other interesting thing that um, happened several several times is that um, some of those kids that do have hyperlexia, I I was encouraged and asked to create versions of word power that that had the QWERTY keyboard on another page because it. Uh, they felt like the keyboard was too distracting for these kids. And then, of course, there's there's another group of kids that their literacy skills aren't good enough to justify putting the QWERTY keyboard on the main page, but yet they have pretty good vision, pretty good motor skills, and so they could handle a lot of keys. So that, so then you get versions of word power that were like uh, 100 location without the keyboard. So they do very well with that, but if you put the QWERTY keyboard there, they can't really use it. So, I mean, there are just so many, as you know, so many kinds of kids and so many kinds of abilities and disabilities. And so that's how, you know, my work has just evolved with all the clients that I've worked with and that I've had uh, special requests from. Yeah. Um, But I, I think the whole symbol thing is a very interesting question. I don't think there's a right or wrong to it. I, I've been... I've been kind of interested and intrigued how many people have been complimentary of the 60 basic to say to me, I really like all the symbols, you know, and my students have done well with having more symbols. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of, a lot of kids with autism have tried that program. So I'm just wondering uh, in in terms of the, uh, the enhanced word prediction, do you find, uh, is that hard to get kids to, for younger kids or, you know, kids who are, have some literacy skills, maybe in, you know, later elementary, is there, is there kind of a longer process that you've seen in terms of sort of buying into that? I mean, again, thinking about a lot of kids, some who might be distracted or uh, they learn a certain motor pattern and they learn you know, exactly how they want to say exactly what they want to say. And it's, it's hard to break out of that mold. Uh, to sort of generalize, to be able to sort of think outside the box and start looking at the word prediction. I mean, I'm just wondering if you found different pathways towards success in using that. Well, that's another good question. Uh, as a clinician, I would rather my clients be using a vocabulary that is just a little bit challenging for them rather than have that vocabulary be too easy and too basic for them. So... When um, I, I can think of one of my clients recently who was using 60 locations 
with um, without the keyboard on the main page. And then, and and he's one of those kids that you might describe him as being hyperlexic. But um, now he's, um, you know, I bumped him up to a vocabulary that that does have the QWERTY keyboard on the main page, and he's just done beautifully. I mean, he he has not. I mean, he he knew he knew the basics of word power. He has a fairly good um, internal language system, and when he was ready, um, when I felt like he was ready to have the QWERTY keyboard right there available at all times. Um, for him, it, it was not confusing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's, again, it's just a very individual thing. So, you know, when I'm working with students, if, um, you know, if their system has what they need and they're communicating well, then I'm, I'm not about changing them, but I'm also, I always want to make sure that my clients have whatever vocabulary would best suit their needs. I'm I'm certainly willing to to let's go let's go up a little bit and most of my clients seem to respond pretty well to that. I wanted to switch gears for a second and and ask you in more general uh in a more general level what do you see um on the horizon? in the field of AAC, what's got your attention these days? What are some things that you're thinking about in terms of uh, future considerations, things that maybe uh, more of us should be thinking about? Hmm. Well, well, I think one of the new things I've been thinking about and that I've included in some of my new work is um, just the whole voice assist thing and um, like the Amazon Echo and Hey Siri and you know, for years, so many of the clients that I've worked with have really needed environmental controls and, and with uh, devices like by Prinkyromic and Dynavox, we've been able to have them control their environment. And I, I think this is kind of a, an exciting time right now because I think now some of the mainstream technologies using voice assist and um, controlling the TV through through things like the Amazon Echo and Hey Siri, I think that's one of the things that's kind of exciting to me. And I think that um, I just went to the ATIA conference and I went to a session on the Apple Home products and just mm-hmm. seeing all the things that can be done by things that you can go buy at Best Buy and then you can incorporate it into the AAC system. I think that's I think that's an exciting thing that's going on right now. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking of a, there is a company, um, I don't know if, I think they're still like in a, maybe a beta testing. Um, they're developing some type of software that can help someone with um, unintelligible speech, sort of uh-huh. like a, a converter. So it kind of learns the patterns of a person's speech and can then uh, re-auditorize that. Oh. Um, and to Claire. And so I've, I've been thinking about that. If they can get to a point where that can really work and then you can use that, they can use that again to, to truly be autonomous, to control things like Siri or the uh-huh. Amazon Echo. Um, yes. Just in terms uh-huh. of, you know, like what a, a boon for independence that would be. Absolutely. Um, so, that's so like, very... Yeah. So I think that that's going to be very exciting if that, if that really comes to uh, fruition. Uh-huh. So. That is really exciting. Um. So the last question I really had was about 
I've only been really involved in AAC since 2010. And when I came in 2010, I, I still know very little. I, you know, I, I joke, I saw a Facebook meme today, I think, by uh, Meredith Harold, And uh, it was something like, it was like a pie chart. And uh, what it was like one section was um, everything I know. And then what I know, I don't know. And what I don't know that I don't know. And of course, that, that last section was a pretty big chunk. And that's sort of, you know, the way I think about AAC is that uh, I'm still a newbie. I'm learning all the time. And I feel like I what I know in 2017 is, you know, leaps and bounds from what I knew in 2010. But that doesn't mean I have, you know, don't have a long way to go. But I, I guess what I'm, this, the question I'm leading up to is, what do you know now that you didn't know that you wish you knew 10 to 15 years ago? <laughs> if you can go back and tell your younger clinician something that uh, you really wish you knew that took you just, you know, maybe longer to learn a lesson, what would that be? Well, first of all, I am still learning too. I, I think, I think that's, I, I am not, after doing AAC for all these years that I've been doing it, I am still not bored by it. I'm still intrigued by it. And I'm, I think communication is so uh, interesting and challenging. And um, I'm working with a young woman right now who had a brainstem stroke two years ago. And she has a family, and she's cognitively intact, and she is so motorically impaired as um, significant visual impairment. And I have designed a custom vocabulary for her. Oh, really? And I guess I guess the thing that um, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm always learning from my clients, and I don't think there are there is one answer for anyone. And um, yeah, everyone's sort of like their own uh, case test. You know, you yeah, you really have absolutely. to experiment. Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely take use best practices but when it comes down to everyone's you know um of kind of a puzzle unto themselves uh, they are and sometimes you know. you know it's so nice because you just you have something like oh i know it would work for you and then it works and then sometimes and i guess this is why this is you know i i i like to create and i and i like to problem solve and um i guess this is this is just my niche that I've found um, that I'm, I'm still interested in it and I'm still working to create things, you know, to help people with communication. But I, I certainly don't have the answers, but I know that certain things work and um, I know if they don't work, I'm going to, you know, find things that do, you know, keep looking for things that do work for my clients. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back because I, a question just popped into my head. You you talked mm-hmm. about your first iteration for that client. Um, I think it was the Dino, Dynavox 3100? 3100, uh-huh. Yeah. When you made that first uh, iteration of WordPower, how, mm-hmm. many, how many hours did that take you? The very first iteration didn't take that many hours because it, it was a QWERTY keyboard set yeah. up with word prediction right. and then like i said i used that buchelman study and chose my core words so i mean i don't know maybe you know i worked on it for a couple weeks mm-hmm. and um but i had the idea right away and i could see oh my goodness that this this kind of works so it really didn't take that long whereas 
um, developing vocabularies where I, the way I do them now, <laughs> they take a lot of time. It's, it's, oh, sure. it's very time consuming. Yeah. I mean, who, when you're developing new vocabularies, are there certain people that you rely on more than others? I mean, do you, do you sort of have like a partner or maybe a, a set of people that you look for feedback? I do. I love to, I love to put my work out with people, with clinicians and, um, that I know will give me feedback and that, that are in a position that they can try it out with their students. And then, like I say, I'm a clinician. And so I'm always trying things out with, you know, with my own clients. So, um, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. very good. It's it's very helpful. Okay. Nancy, uh, where can people find you out on the web and perhaps social media? I do have a word power Facebook page. And then really, you know, my, um, I don't, I, I present at conferences, but really a lot of times people go through the actual companies to get to me. In other words, if somebody has a question about something that I've done for Dynavox, oftentimes they'll contact Dynavox who will then contact me. Right. But, um, yeah, but your main hub seems to be, uh, the Inman innovations. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I have my website Inman innovations. Right. Yes. And I'll link to uh-huh. that on the, uh, on the show notes and all that. Now, before we sign off on this episode, I want to just include one more comment that Nancy made after I had initially turned off the recorder. She was explaining something new about word power. There is something new that I've started doing in the last couple of years, um, and it came from working with one of uh, my clients, and that is on some of my newer vocabularies, um, I have started incorporating core vocabulary within the categories. So in other words, you can use the core vocabulary from the main page, but also there is some core within the categories. And I've found that that's been very helpful, especially with some kids on the spectrum. So for example, from the main page, you might be able to say, you know, can I have a drink of, and then when you say drink, it might jump to the drinks page. And so you can say a drink of Coke, blah, blah, blah. But you also, if you started from the drinks page, the words do, can, is, I, are there. So you could also say, can I have a drink right from that page? Oh, very cool. And um, so that's something new that I've started doing. And that's on something that's about to be released by a newer version of WordPower that's about to be released from Prentke Romake. It's in the Saltillo products. It's in... um, the newest thing that I've done for smart box. So that's something that I'm, I'm starting to do now that I, I find is, has been helpful to several of my clients. Very nice. Okay. okay. Um, okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, yeah. Jeff. Well, thank you, Nancy, for being a guest on today's show and sharing with us your knowledge and experience as an SLP and AC specialist. I've really been enjoying my conversations on AAC on the show and love to hear others' stories and perspectives. So thank you, Nancy, for sharing that uh, with us today and uh, look forward to one day meeting you in person. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to most of the items discussed in today's episode. If you are listening to this episode through your podcast player, you likely won't be able to see the image of the big green board. So for that particular item, go to conversationsandspeech.com, which is 
of course, the show's website. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or heaven forbid concerns about the show, you can send them my way. Jeff at conversations at speech.com. And as I've been saying a lot lately, if you like the show, please, 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 please give it an honest review in the iTunes store. And if you don't like the show, please keep that opinion to yourself. Chuckle, chuckle. That's about all I have for today. I have a number of episodes to release in the coming weeks, so please stick around. Ciao for now.